Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you turn on the news anytime, any day, you're bombarded with stories about climate change and natural disasters, political strife and polarization, and world poverty that is driving unrest and a migrant crisis. Any one of these issues, not to mention the local problems at home, is too great for any of us to solve, and yet some of us feel so compelled to do something. But what? Dawn Brown is the Waste Services Director at Matrix New World Engineering, a New Jersey-based engineering firm specifically focused on environmental and climate-related challenges as well as resilience and sustainability projects. Those are words we hear a lot about in Louisiana, and Dawn's going to try to help us better understand what they really mean. Matrix was founded in 1990 and opened its Baton Rouge office in 2015. Dawn is an environmental professional who focuses on project management and development at the firm, which is currently doing several projects for the state of Louisiana. Dawn is a native of Baton Rouge and was a high school biology teacher before switching careers and becoming a project manager for engineering firms. Dawn, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. While Dawn is dealing with environmental issues, Rebecca Gardner is trying to help migrants and disadvantaged women around the globe through Hands Producing Hope, a nonprofit that she founded in 2014 that sells ethically sourced products made by migrant women and women from disadvantaged countries through a retail shop on Government Street and through its website and several satellite locations. The organization goes beyond that to partner with communities through artisan training programs, maternal health education, life skills classes, adult literacy education, business mentoring, and more. Rebecca is a native of Baton Rouge who founded the organization because of her passion for helping disadvantaged families and her desire to see long-term sustainable change in impoverished communities. And Rebecca, I'm a huge fan of Hands Producing Hope. Love the mission and the product. Thanks so much for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. And Enhanced Producing Hope, it, it's a business, but is it also a nonprofit? Are you organized as a C3 or a C4? Yeah, we actually work. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, the Hope Shop is under Enhanced Producing Hope. So that's just like the name of our retail location. But um, whether someone's a, a donor or they're a customer, they're, all the funds are going straight into our nonprofit um, to help sustain our programs worldwide. And, and how did you, how did this idea come about? It's a pretty ambitious mission. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I can be a bit overzealous. Um, it came about, um, you know, it's grown, it's, the idea has evolved over time, but in college, honestly, while I was um, studying international studies and I was learning a lot about sustainable development and um, I really had a big heart for people that had a lot of barriers coming up against them um, to no fault of their own and realizing my 
privileged just based on sheer luck of where I was born and resources I was given that, but my value is the exact same as someone in dire circumstances in a remote village, you know, and that like, how can we walk along? I wanted to create an organization that could walk alongside women and give them the tools and resources that they needed rather than creating cycles of dependency that often happen like in nonprofits where, you know, you might feel good as the giver of like, I fed this kid, I did this. And there are, there's a time and a place for meeting immediate needs for sure. You know, but I'm really passionate about trying to get to the root of problems and not just stay at the surface level and be like, okay, why are we having to feed these kids? What, what's the reason? What's the cause? Okay. Parents don't have work. Why? They didn't have a chance to go to school. There's gender discrimination. There's this, you know? So I just, um, I had lived in Costa Rica for a while and that's where our our organization started. Um, and it was through relationships with people I knew that I wanted to support women that we worked with and knew that there were women like them all around the world and similar situations. Fantastic. Well, I want to dig in more into what y'all do, but Dawn, I want to bring you into the conversation because Matrix New World based in New Jersey and really um, presents itself as a firm that is focused on a lot of environmental related challenges at a time when that is so important. What kind of work do y'all do in Louisiana broadly and and why what attracted a New Jersey firm to to Baton Rouge? Originally the Gulf Coast, the BP oil spill brought New Jersey, the office here and opened it. And then after that they had to find other service lines to sustain the office here. And so they started with natural resources, wetland de- uh, delineations, nice. threatened and endangered species, mitigation banks. They set those up for their clients and monitor them throughout the years it takes before credits can be released back to um, purchase, you know, for the clients. So therefore, those are some major things that we do. But we also do water, waste, air, multimedia for private industrial sector clients where we offer reporting and compliance. We just try to help them in whatever way. We try to figure out what their stressors are and what we can do to help them better their lives. We also do phase one environmental assessments. We look at the um, environment, the, the land that's looking to be purchased and see if there is any contamination or anything for people prior to purchasing that. We have survey we've recently added, and so we have two professional land surveyors that work with our firm, and we offer all types of survey, boundary, right-of-way, those type of services. And we even in our New Orleans office have digital solutions. So data management, environmental health and compliance we do, those type of resources. Interesting. And and are most of your clients from industry? or are they, or any of them, on the environmental side, or a, a business just looking to do something interesting or potentially helpful? Some are. Um, we do a little bit of all. We work with government agencies, municipalities, private sector clients as well. But some are just setting up mitigation banks with their land. They're trying to develop that the wetlands that you know restore wetlands so that we will have those where you can trade off land value at different areas. So there are different types of clients we work with. We also work with a lot of other engineering firms that we just sub to being that we're a small office here and we provide our service lines to them. Okay, excellent. Rebecca, um, so you have this great idea, it's, it's ambitious, but you wanna dig in and you wanna try to get at the root 
causes of poverty and do something about it. So, so you hit upon this idea of helping specifically women, right? Because they are so often disadvantages, and particularly in a lot of these countries mm -hmm. that suffer from so much poverty, yeah. women are discriminated against. Yeah. And um, so, how did you get in there and, and find these communities of women and and find the products that they were making and encourage them to make more? Honestly, the it, relationships is the short answer. Just building, um, building community and building relationships is how all the women that we currently work with, how it's happened. Um, so our first group of women um, that we started with in Costa Rica, it was through dear friends of mine that mm -hmm. lived there and they were working full-time with the indigenous community that we're partnering with. And um, we started by just asking them what they wanted and what they needed and collaborating and listening. Um, and then we expanded to, I had taken some trips to, to Rwanda um, and went to some really remote islands on a lake that's in between Congo and Rwanda and saw that there were no organizations doing something similar to what we were doing. Really? Um, and there were, there's compassion, there's, th there are, there are organizations, but it's just a really remote area and there, there was no one working on these islands. Um, and so I sat on it for a while and we were just starting in Costa Rica and I just waited, but it was through, I kept relationship with a lot of the people in the local community and um, for a few years, like asked questions and tried to figure out would this work here? Is it wanted? Is it needed? Um, and then even our program, our refugee program here in Baton Rouge, it was through um, relationships with Catholic Charities, with um, Amber, the owner of Lighthouse Coffee, like building relationships with those people that had a deeper connection with the refugee population. And they could, they introduced me to women in the community that they knew had a higher barriers to finding traditional employment that had you know, language barriers or transportation barriers, um, or their degree didn't transfer, like different things like sure. that. So, um, yeah, we work in three very different countries, um, but they all tie in of the women that we partner with just have a lot of barriers that are keeping them um, from being able to rise above poverty and thrive in their communities. And the three countries you work in, Costa Rica, Rwanda, and... And the U.S. and Baton Rouge. And the U.S. Yeah. And, and so you're, you procure, basically curate, procure, and then sell items made by women in those two countries and in Baton Rouge from those countries, but also mm -hmm. from elsewhere, maybe from Syria or Afghanistan or yeah. whoever has come to Baton Rouge through the, the mm -hmm. refugee yeah, program. So, um, yeah, so in our shop, like, we... We have our own line of goods through Hands Producing Hope that we, it's things that we've designed. We train the women on how to make and we um, we create together and then we sell those in our store and then we sell to other stores around the country um, and sell on our website. And then when we opened the Hope Shop, we had the opportunity to partner with, I think we have like over 50 other like-minded organizations that we buy from that are doing, it's all ethically made goods. They're doing impactful work. It could be... Uh, we work with organizations that help uh, women coming out of trafficking with women that are in um, coming that are like in rehab that you know just a lot of different situations where um, they 
need skills training or employment. And so we source from those organizations and buy from them and support what they're doing. And then when people buy from us, the money goes straight to funding our programs and being able to support more women and it all goes straight back into what we're doing. So fantastic. Yeah. Well, Dawn with, uh, with matrix are you're helping to find solutions for them. As you mentioned, um, when a client comes to you and, and they're looking to do a project, I mean, do y'all approach it like from an environmental perspective or are you trying to approach it from the from the client's perspective? I mean, I guess there's a balance between an oil company, right, or somebody wants to do a project and they don't want to hear bad news, mm -hmm. right? And y'all might have to be the ones to say, no, you can't do this because it's going to hurt wetlands or impact the environment negatively. Absolutely. But by the same token, right. We look at it from both angles, absolutely. We try to, you know, take care of our client think about their best interests. We look at the environment as in what we're impacting and you always want to minimize those impacts. So as best as we can, if we can find alternate um, either areas of land, maybe you know you always do site assessments and you at least analyze three to five sites. So you figure out which one's the best one from there. But then you're also gonna take and look at like, do we just need to move it over a little bit? Mm -hmm. Can we reroute something? And we do a lot of that to try to tell our clients, like, you know, if you just move it 100 feet this way, you're going to not impact this stream or different things or this wildlife, you know. So we do that a lot, and we tell our clients. There's times where you mm -hmm. just will tell your client, this isn't a good choice. We need to find another area, you know, for other, whatever the reasons may be. The, the environment, the, you know, emissions ratings, whatever it is in that area. You always want to just help out wherever you can. Best advice. Mm -hmm. And and you sort of specialize in, in landfills, um, which is an area that probably a lot of people don't know very much about. You were a biology teacher before you did this work. Did you know much about it? No. Okay. I did not at all. Um, when I made the career change and stuff, I had no idea environmental consulting, really what it was and what it existed of. Um, so Providence is where it gave me my shot, and I thank them tremendously for giving me that opportunity. I had great mentors there and just really taught me a lot. And then I was given this other opportunity at Matrix where it really professionally, personally grew me even more. But yeah, landfills is definitely a topic out of sight, out of mind. Nobody wants to think about waste. We don't want to think about it in our own houses. And so um, it's kind of funny that, you know, people laugh at me that I've ended up in this waste. And, you know, I will tag in with the guys, go walk on the landfills, do whatever has to be done to get the job done at certain times. But, you know, the landfills have become like they're an eyesore they're things people don't want to see but that originally was thought about when they were placed there long ago but as we move out in more rural areas people now in their daily commutes are seeing them daily and they don't like that of course you don't want to see that but they were there already and we keep especially like ascension and livingston parish they're the fastest growing communities so they keep moving out and so we have to find a way they are regulated the people that are operating them do a great job to be proactive for the environment and try to protect um, there's strict regulations on them but it's still things that people don't like to see. And I there's no way around it. it's good that they're seeing it because I, I think a big problem with so much our culture and creating so much waste is that we kind of out of sight, out of mind, pretend it's not there, right? It's like you throw your stuff in the trash and then you're not my problem anymore, right? And then, yeah. so I feel like there, there's something good about that of like, if it's, if people are seeing it more often than there, it can connect this reality of like, well, yeah, some of those plastics are going to sit for 3,000 years or, you know, just different mm -hmm. things where it's like you 
you can't just like not my problem because that, that's over, what yeah. like what we do a lot of is like educating people of, like someone made your products like someone made what you're wearing like let's connect back to that like getting back to the roots of who when you were buying food from you know buying food from the local farmer when someone in town was making your clothes like we used to be so much more connected Mm -hmm. and aware of where everything came from and where it was going afterwards you know like but as we've developed like it's like yeah just put in that landfill over there and Mm -hmm. so I don't know I wonder if that will help people be more involved as a community of like oh right like this trash isn't going anywhere a lot of it's not like what are we going to do about it be part of the be part of solving it yeah 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 but it's really difficult especially like louisiana being so rural the cost the cost of our landfills are so much cheaper than it is to recycle and that's unfortunate but that's totally different in other states because it's the exact opposite they're Mm. you know they don't have the land to keep moving out whereas we do is it because of government funding there is some funding out there for recycling programs yeah but like the state just not investing in it as much um we actually were we do have the two large recycling um programs here baton rouge and new orleans have the largest ones um there is grant funding for them but i mean like if you look at our parishes and how rural there is there's less than 50 percent of them that offer curbside pickup for recycling right well i mean most people if it's not convenient for us we're not going out of our way and and like new orleans doesn't pick up glass anymore so i mean if you really are intentional and we do this at home but you know we save our glass and then bring it to tulane university because they they have drop off but how many people do drop off i mean i know some but there's sure most do not most do not and most don't even bag their their garbage properly which was a thing a couple of years ago when those ladies that started the the campaign to clean up you know that site at the burden garden Mm -hmm. and and all Mm -hmm. of the waste that's clogging the the waterways in baton rouge you know and the drainage but that was an issue that the waste handlers said that people don't properly bag their garbage and so a lot of stuff flies out of the trucks i don't know if that was their excuse but that was definitely it's the definitely argument true they used. with recycling i mean people don't at home segregate your plastics your glass your cans your metals and all that stuff so all of that then has to be done at the site and it's just then it has to be handled it has to be like you know either melted broken down whatever it's handled so many more times before you get a product that can be sold again for recycled juice that the cost effectiveness, we just can't compete with it yet. And so it's really difficult. And there, there's got to be more funding out there, like you said, to make it more convenient and education. People don't yeah. even know to like one that there's just drop off centers because some people really would do that. But to segregate and separate instead of commingling everything and making other jobs so much more difficult and time consuming. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Dawn Brown of Matrix New World Engineering and Rebecca Gardner of Hands Producing Hope. We'll be right back after this short break. Support for Out to Lunch Baton Rouge comes from Adeta Corporate Staffing, Basics Swim and Gym, and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment since 1947. New Orleans Ice Cream, available in select grocery stores, and Rev Realtors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Dawn Brown of Matrix New World Engineering and Rebecca Gardner of Hands Producing Hope. 
and, and you bring up a good point, Rebecca, about education, which is an important component of what y'all do on both ends, I would imagine, both to your potential customers, but also to the women that you're helping in terms of educating and mentoring them. So what kind of programs do you all run? I mean, I mentioned them, but, but what sp- specifically do those look like? So um, our biggest education programs are, uh, are in Rwanda. We have an, uh, a free adult literacy school that we run that's on um, four, four remote islands. And it's, it started with just the women in our cooperative um, when we discovered that we had these tags where we write their name on the products yeah. and they couldn't write their names. Um, and this was quite a few years ago. And so we were like, okay, well, do you want to learn to read and write? And they're like, yes. I'm like, all right, so wait, let's start so, a school. So out of here in Baton Rouge, and you've got this cute little shop, but you are actually running a literacy program in Rwanda yeah, through yeah. this nonprofit mm-hmm. with a social enterprise, and you're in charge of it. Yes, yeah. So we have, uh, we have multiple staff members. All of our staff in Rwanda are local Rwandans. We have four full-time liter- uh, teachers on the islands. Um, we have staff that go and oversee the programs that and then we have so in addition to the free literacy school um, we have a free maternal health education program too that we developed just because the uh, maternal and infant death rates were high and we were seeing that very women were hungry for knowledge and there was just a lack of look there was misconceptions and there wasn't resources for um, them to learn very basic um, prenatal care and so we we collaborate with the local clinics and hire local nurses to come and teach a curriculum on um, the importance of um, uh, hygiene or uh, nutrition and we uh, feed them meals while they're at the class and teach them about what vitamins are really important and pregnancy and we talk to them about what to expect in labor and and a big big thing is uh, encouraging them to go to prenatal visits at the local clinic because that um, is something that a lot of women would go in for the very first time when they're in labor or once they've already lost their baby um, and so all of those things yeah they're uh, those are our biggest programs and those are, we, those are big programs how many people are you touching through this um I was just looking, pull, trying to pull some data for 2013. Um, 2013? I, 2023. 2023. What year <laughs> is it? Who knows? <laughs> I'm, time warp. Um, 2023. And for our literacy school, we in 2023, we had 67 um, adults graduate. We've had, I think, almost 300 graduate um, in the course of, in the history of the program. And then we have 300 or more uh pregnant women that go through our, our classes every year what kind of budget do y'all have it's so little <laughs> we do so much with so little it's that's been a big thing honestly over the past uh, couple years is trying to figure out how to sustain this in the long run because we we've been really scrappy um and have staff in the u.s that are very kind to give us their time with very little money and we are work very very hard but yeah we're we're little um and but but one great thing about like Rwanda we're able to do more because our money goes a lot further there so the the cost to facilitate these programs is much less versus like our programs our refugee programs we are able to support 
a lot less women because to sure. out the hourly wage and what it costs to fund the staff that run the programs and all that. So um, that's kind of where the the amount of humans we're able to impact changes a lot just because of yeah mm-hmm. funding. Um, yeah. Interesting. That's that's quite amazing because it just again it's such a big problem and, and 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 y'all are just diving in and doing what you can and somehow making it work but i hope you you find a, a sustainable solution for it and don y'all are looking for sustainable solutions for you know a, a lot of areas here in in the state what kind of projects will y'all be focusing on you know in the next couple of years what's your your short-term medium-term plan for louisiana there is definitely lots of talks about the future projects coming up with, you know, wind energy, solar energy. We would love to get involved in those. Carbon capture is huge right now. Um, those are things that are all looking very positive. And Louisiana is the perfect ground for these. We have so much to offer for them with our space and different things. So nothing's moved well carbon capture is starting to move they are starting you know it's regulations that are finally just being disseminated who's going to be in charge of what and so that's was a big movement that they finally gave that to dnr and to the state to make some decisions so hopefully some of those projects will be able to move forward soon but um you know wind energy and solar is still just kind of getting their foot established and stuff but hopefully matrix will play a part in those Well, Dawn Brown and Rebecca Gardner, it's so nice to meet two local entrepreneurs who are making our community and the world a better place by using your gifts and talents. Ladies, it's been so interesting to hear your stories today. Thanks so much for everything you're doing and for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks so much. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Dawn Brown of Matrix New World Engineering and Rebecca Gardner of Hands Producing Hope. We edited this show to fit into our time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Dawn and Rebecca on the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast on your podcast app and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Today's photos were taken by J.T. O'Neill. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producers are Peter Raschuti and Ann Edelman. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansour's is open for lunch daily 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com.
and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.